If you would, go ahead and please be seated. It's an exciting day today. It's the day that the Lord has made, but it's also a day where we get to celebrate baptism, that step of obedience um, of the Lord's disciples. And so um, it's probably one of my favorite services of the year, uh, along with Resurrection Sunday, where we get to rejoice in the victorious Christ. And so we do that every day. Amen? Amen. Okay. Last week... uh, Pastor James led us in a, in a message that was uh, directed at celebrating Christ in the way of, that we get to live in the light of Christ, live, live in the light of Christmas all year long. And he left us with an application that we're going to kind of walk through again today. So it's kind of like a part two of, uh, of last week's message, but it's also a message that preaches every single day. And so as we look at the truth of God's word this morning, um, we have an abbreviated message. Pray that it is that, so uh, we don't go too long. want to leave enough time for the men to share uh, as they get up and share their testimonies um, later on this morning. Well, it is the new year, and along with the new year, um, many times people stop and they evaluate the last year, right? They look back in the previous year and they say, you know, what did, what did the year look like? What did I achieve? Were there maybe some goals that I had put out in front of myself that I didn't quite get to. Or maybe you exceeded a goal. Maybe the Lord was gracious in giving you the discipline to, to see that through, and, and he, you saw that he had blessed you in those, in those things that you put forward. This morning, I want us to, to stop and really to think about what it is the Lord would have us be our resolution, not only for this year, but for each and every single day. One of the problems with resolutions is that we almost always fall short of achieving them. And so sometimes we might even say, is there even value in taking aim, right? Where we take aim at something and we say, we want to make sure that we're, we're trying to achieve these things. Jesus has encouraged us as a disciple of, of Jesus Christ, for those who have trusted in him, have received that gift of faith, he's encouraged us to live obediently as disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like in the life of a disciple? What does it look like for us today? What does it look like for us tomorrow and throughout this year should the Lord grace us with length of days? Regardless of yesterday's failures that um, maybe we've, areas that we fell short in, in living that life of a disciple, Jesus still has the same goal for us today. He still has the same charge for us to live in today. We're to mature as disciples, which takes a calculated change. It means that we're increasingly honoring God with our choices, and we're relying on His Word, right? So it means we need to be in His Word, reading His Word. We need to be meditating on it. We need to be hiding it away in our heart so the Lord would use it to bring about a change in our, in our lives. So we're relying on His Word. We're not only relying on His Word, we're fully dependent on His Spirit in our life to live that life pleasing to God. We can't do it in our own strength. So what we're called to today is not different from yesterday in what is to be at the very core of our hearts. At the very core, at the very center of our heart is to be Christ. We're to be a people who are so in love with Christ, in awe of him, in worship of him, that we can't help but live a life of obedience to him. So we don't, we don't make it our aim to please God out of a desire to pay off a sin debt. That's not why we choose to love and be obedient to God. 
God in his love and grace has brought us into a right relationship with him, granting us both eternal and daily mercies, right? So we're grateful to God for the eternal mercies that we'll have, that we'll get to be with him in heaven one day. But we're so grateful to God for the new mercies that we get to live in and walk in and rest in today. How many of you are grateful for his new mercies today? Amen, each one of us. So, he is worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all of our worship. So how will you worship him today? We've just worshiped him in song this morning. We worshiped him by listening to the reading of his word. We worshiped him as we join united in prayer this morning. Maybe the question this morning is, why will you worship him today? When you make choices that don't honor him or reflect who Christ is, what did you decide to worship? Who did you decide to honor? Or maybe what did you decide to satisfy instead of Christ? Was there something within your flesh? Was there some desire that you chose over honoring Christ? The pastoral care team's prayer for you, for everyone here at Canyon Bible Church, is part of the body of Christ Um, is echoed in Paul's prayer found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. I'm going to just read it to you, but consider this our prayer for you. It says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every single good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God today? Pastor James encouraged us to consider joining the the teaching class coming up, the spectrum of light, really looking at the attributes of Christ, who he is. As we grow in our understanding of who God is, we can't help but worship him increasingly changes the whole posture of our very hearts. So today, my message is to the young men who are going to be baptized, but the message is also for every single one of us here who have trusted in Christ for their salvation and recognize that Jesus is to be Lord of their life, not only their Savior, but also their Lord. I'm going to open this morning with a prayer, but it's really a reading from Psalm 119, and no, we're not going to read the whole psalm this morning. We'll attempt to to work through a few verses, but if you would bow your heads with me this morning as I open with a few verses. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, its sufficiency, its inerrancy. Lord, all that it teaches and instructs us of, of who you are and who we are to be as your people. For the gospel that it proclaims in Jesus Christ, we thank you for its promises. The psalmist wrote, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. 
who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Lord, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for the psalmist declaring their intent, Lord, that they would praise you, that they would walk in uprightness before you. Lord, help us in our failures. Help us in our successes, Lord, to give you the glory and the praise because it's you who is at work in us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. Lord, that you would be honored in the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question to us all today is, what do you resolve in your heart to do today? What is it that God would have you be faithful in today and every single day as a disciple of Jesus Christ? On your teaching outline, you'll see that it's titled, Make It Your Aim to Please Him. That's Jesus, obviously. No longer live for yourself, but rather live for Jesus. Maybe you would say today that it is your aim to please Christ. That genuinely that is your aim, that is your desire, that today it is your desire to please Christ. Can this honorable intention ever need an alignment? Is there a time when, when our intentions actually need to be recentered on Christ? Maybe we've gone off a little ways. Maybe it's like a car that needs an alignment where it keeps pulling to the side and it needs to be steered back to keep focused, to be keep going straight. What is it today that the Lord might be teaching you from his word that will keep you centered and focused on Christ and walking in a way that is honorable and pleasing to him? This morning, if we considered the Pharisees, or even as we talked about the Sadducees in our reading, if we consider the Pharisees, outwardly they did much to align with what is pleasing to God. That is, in their actions, if you observed them and what they were doing, you'd say, oh, they're, they're obeying the commandments. They're trying to please God. Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, had much to say about the Pharisees and where they needed to be aligned. So how could obedience to God not be pleasing to him? Obedience to try and pay off off our sinfulness, right? A counterbalance. Maybe we're living a, a good moral life and we're trying to work off the errors that we're doing, the ways that we fell short, the ways that we that we disobeyed God. Maybe we're trying to live a life of obedience for our own glory and fame. Maybe it's recognition amongst the rest of the body of Christ so that they would see us and pat us on the back and say, yeah, you're doing it. You're living your life as a disciple. And we're waiting for that encouragement from brothers and sisters, expecting it and hoping for it, rather than just loving God and living a life of obedience to him. Maybe your life is marked by obedience that's been rooted out of your own strength and not relying upon the Lord Jesus for his strength as he wants to live his life through you. Trying to live your life by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps rather than allowing the Spirit of God to live his life in you and through you in the weakness of your flesh this morning. Obedience that ultimately, these examples are are void of any kind of gospel. 
right? Where we're thinking that we might be good enough. Paul in Galatians chapter 2, I won't share 2.20, which is my favorite verse, but in chapter 2, verse 21, Paul lays it out for us that whenever we walk in that kind of self-righteousness, that we're saying that, that we could be good enough, that Christ didn't need to come and die for me, he needed to come and die for others' sin debt, not for mine. Are you burdened to be further clothed in Christ's righteousness this morning? What are you putting on? Are you putting on the deeds of the flesh or of the Spirit? Are you living the Christian life this morning? Have you been united with Christ? Paul says over 160 times in in his letters to the church, he calls it being in Christ. That means united with Christ. We can only be united with Christ if we have confessed our sins and placed our trust in Christ, where he's given us that gift of faith to not only live a life marked by salvation, but a life marked by sanctification. That's increased holiness, increased obedience to him. Are you living through Christ and for Christ this morning? A life focused on God and his glory has a complete shift from earthly priorities to eternal stories. Let me say that one again. A life focused on God and his glory has a complete shift from earthly priorities to eternal stories. What do I mean by eternal stories? It's the things that will make an impact for all eternity. Are you focused on what God's mission is for his people to actually be a disciple who makes disciples? That starts by proclaiming the gospel to the lost. That's the first step in discipleship making, right? Making sure that people actually have a a faith that is solidified in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they're trusting in Christ for his payment of their sin. And then continuing on, trying to present them mature in Christ, going back to the word with your brothers and sisters, encouraging them, exhorting them, teaching them, reproofing them. If you will turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, reads this way. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that... What is moral may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Listen up. So whether we are at home or away, We make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about 
outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Making your aim in life to please God is to stop living life for yourself and to live it for Jesus, who died and was raised victorious from the grave for your sake. We can all say living a life pleasing to God is difficult at the very least, right? We often fail. Anybody else fail in living our life that's completely, fully pleasing to God? The Christian life is impossible apart from Christ. Amen? Sometimes we might find ourselves tracking in the Christian life where we're actually separating ourselves from Christ in the sense that we're not even aware of him. We're not aware of the need of us to be abiding in Christ and him abiding in us and his desire to, to steer us, to guide us, to lead us, to inform us of the Father's will in our lives to impress upon us the words of, his, of the scriptures that might correct us, that certainly reveal God's will to us. Let me encourage you this morning that God has not equipped you for failure, but he's equipped you to do his perfect will. Our true failures are when our will intervenes and redirects our aim. So when we talk about making it our aim to please God, Know that that is God's desire for your life. And he's equipped you to be able to do it. Yet while we're in this, in this fleshly robe of ours, we have that battle within us that wants our own way, that doesn't want to submit to the lordship of Christ in our life. But know that Christ is all-powerful. He was the one who rose victorious from the grave and he can raise up his life within you today. Point number one in your teaching outline Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We just read in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. What is faith? We could turn to Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith in the scriptures. In view of time, I'm just going to read a few verses for us this morning. Beginning Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And down to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What is faith? How do we live by faith? Faith is that God-given assurance that he is placed within us. 
It's a pure conviction. It's a confidence that can only be found in Christ Jesus. It's a right understanding of God, which grows as we draw near to him and we seek him. How do we make it our aim to please God? We draw near to God. We actually seek to please him and we seek him out. Scripture is full of of what the life of a disciple looks like, of what the life of a faithful Christian is. It also describes how God has equipped us with his Holy Spirit, not only sealing us for that day of redemption, but providing a spirit so we might actually live out the Christian life. I already said we know that we cannot live it perfectly today. Paul informs us that Christ is so, that God is so faithful to keep working on us day by day until that day that we're with him in glory. When we get our glorified bodies, God is going to be faithful to keep working on us. Galatians 5, verse 5 and 6 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For in Christ Jesus, only faith working through love. What counts for Christ is our faith working through love. A love for him, a love for others. Galatians 5 is that chapter that has the fruit of the Spirit in us, but there's so much other instruction in it for us this morning. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Here's the encouragement. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you're in Christ, he wants to do what is honoring to the Lord. He wants to do the Father's will, just like he completely and fully and perfectly did while he was here in his earthly ministry. He wants to do the Father's will in you today. 1 John 3 is full of many warnings to those who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Our life practices should be evidence of faith in Christ actively working in us and through us. So maybe today, you are to resolve to align your practices to the word of God, relying fully on the Holy Spirit. Next in your teaching outline, draw near to God. Believe and seek him. He's a faithful God. He's trustworthy. Remember Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists that he rewards those who seek him. Are you seeking the Lord today? Will you plan and and align your life to walk in the disciplines of spending time at God's feet? We have the teaching plan that is filled with grace. The reading plan, I should say, that's filled with grace. It's a five-day reading plan. How many days in the week do we have? Seven. All right. You guys know. We've got two grace days. Our days are very full sometimes. Does anybody else have a full life? Right? Even in retirement, I know when my parents retired, they're like, we don't know how we had time to work. Right? I encourage you to have a a reading plan. Spend time in God's Word. It's a five-day reading plan. If you need to stretch out, 
two of those into two days. The Lord is gracious to, to meet you in those days. Don't skip a day. Don't avoid it, spending time in God's word. If it means you spend one, one moment in one verse one day, meditate on that within its context and with, within the true accurate meaning of what it's saying. Listen to this warning in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. It's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We can be such a double-minded people where we, where we struggle with surrendering to the Lordship of Christ and we struggle with not surrendering and walking in our own Lordship. Point number two, whoever abides in Christ and him in you will bear much fruit. We might struggle and say, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean for Christ to abide in you and you to abide in Christ? Right? Sometimes we say, well, Christ needs to, you know, he needs to abide in you. That means that you are a disciple of Christ. But what does it also mean that he would abide in you and you in him? John 15, verse 4 and 5 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've made it your aim to please God, if that's your desire and your, your resolve this coming year to please God, you need to be abiding in Christ and him in you. This passage goes on in verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Is your life marked by the works of Christ? If we are calling ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're calling ourselves Christians ultimately, that means little Christ. We know that the fullness of Christ dwells within us. We're not missing anything. We are complete in Christ Jesus. Won't you surrender to him today? Jesus goes on in John 15. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We see Christ's perfect sacrificial love for us throughout his earthly ministry, but we see it and recognize it ultimately on the cross where he would give his life out of love for you. Verse 13 says, greater love has, no one than, has no, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but the servant does not know what, the master, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Abiding in Christ and him in you makes you an overcomer. Overcoming your flesh, overcoming the draw of anything sinful in this world. Anything that would like to shift your alignment, to draw you away from having your aim to please the Lord. Maybe even shifting your intentions of your heart. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Many of us challenge with, with sin and we say, well, I just can't, I can't defeat it. It's just constantly victorious in my life. It always, it always wins out. It doesn't have to. Christ in you is greater than he who is in this world. It's also greater than your flesh. 
Lean into Christ. Draw near to him. God sent his son not only that we would have eternal life, but that we would have his life today dwelling within us. 1 John 4, 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. God was revealing himself among us, that God sent his son, his only son, into the world so that we might live through him so that we might have an eternal life, that we also might have his life in us today. The Spirit has regenerated us. The Spirit has repurposed us. Right? He's given us new hearts. He's given us new desires to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. And praise the Lord, the Spirit is going to relocate us one day in heaven. Amen? Amen. A truly repurposed life will bear Christ's fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 has some great truths about what we're to put off and what we're to put on. I'm going to read a few verses for you this morning. Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, making it our aim to please the Lord. Whatever you do, it's going to be honoring to the Lord. It's going to glorify him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, again exemplifies what the fruit of the Spirit is. That is, what the Spirit within you is producing while God is manifested in you. It's not anything that you could do in your own flesh. It's not something that you could manufacture and produce. It's only the Spirit of God that could do it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. The fruit of God's Spirit in you is patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. It's self-control. I like to call that spirit control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no limit on the amount of activity that the fruit of the Spirit wants to produce within you, that God's Spirit within you isn't limited to certain fruit. It goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And we can only do that by faith. Point number three in your teaching outline. We were chosen by God to go and bear fruit. Right? He didn't just send you out. He also charged you with bearing fruit. We know that we can only do that through Christ. We were chosen by God to go and bear fruit and that our fruit would abide, that it would have life. 
John chapter 15, Jesus in talking to his disciples in verse 16 and 17, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 goes on to continue on that encouragement that, that we were chosen and that God has works appointed for us. Ephesians 1, 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Right? We were not only just chosen before the foundation of the world, we were chosen with purpose to be a people who were holy and without blame before Him. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness That's how the Father sees us. Sees us as if we have always obeyed. Ephesians chapter 1 goes on to say, in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God wants your life to be to the praise of his glory. Next thing in your teaching outline, these things Jesus commands us. These things Jesus commands us so that we will love one another. John 15, 17, if you remember what I just read, these things I command you so that you will love one another. That's Jesus' words and exhortation to us. If we consider again, 1 John chapter 3, and and some of these warnings for us, some of these things that we need to reflect on as we walk through the scriptures. I would encourage you to spend time reading 1 John chapter 3, but don't stop there. Go into John chapter 4. It'll be a great encouragement to you. But 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, right? But let us love in deed and in truth. If we say that we love the Lord, we need to not only profess it, but it needs to be our practice. People need to see Christ's love in you. 1 John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We open with a question of maybe what you'll resolve to do today and in the days to come maybe in this next year, throughout each, throughout each day. But maybe the most important question, and certainly it is, what has God chosen for you? What has God commanded for your resolve to be? What has God equipped you with his spirit for, for those who are trusting in Christ? I want to close this by continuing our reading in Psalm 119. If you would bow your heads with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the scriptural encouragements that we can have as we seek you, as we dwell in your presence. Lord, we continue along to rejoice with the psalmist and 
And to ask some hard questions, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Father, that is our our prayer today. Lord, that we would fix our eyes on Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, in order for us to have our eyes fixed on Christ, we need to be fixed on your word. Lord, the full counsel of your word, each and every single word of it. Lord, not selective passages that we might be drawn to, maybe even repeatedly and regularly, why we ignore other passages. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who grow in understanding of who you are and your character, that we would revel at your love. Lord, that as we consider your holiness, we would grow in a way that um, marks us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be our aim to please you. Lord, out of a right heart that recognizes our desperate need of the gospel and and it's in that we rejoice. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that we can trust you, that we can rely on Christ. Lord, we pray for these young men getting baptized today that as they come up and share that you would grant them peace, that there would be no anxiousness, that they would share the work that you're doing in their lives. Lord, we rejoice for each person that you have brought salvation to. In Jesus' name, amen.